This morning we are looking at Psalm number four. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. And how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. All right. Hey, grab a seat. Man, good morning, Providence. I love, love, love uh, serving here at the church as one of the pastors. You know, and if uh, this morning has just been fun. If you're new here and, and this is your first time and you came hoping and expecting for a really well put together and efficient structure, uh, sorry, that's just not us, right? Like, that's just not us because, and here's the reality why. Because name any family gathering that you've gone to where everything is just perfect and smooth. It doesn't happen, right? As a family, you just roll with the punches, you're flexible, and you do things for the good of each other. And so that's what we want to do here at Providence. And so I love our Sunday gatherings, and I love that we get to have technical difficulties and we all get a hoop and holler about it, all right? So let me pray for us, because I'm excited mostly that we get to dive into God's Word this morning together, that, that I believe God's Spirit is going to speak to us through Psalm 4 this morning and make much of His name. But let's pray till that end, and then we'll get rolling. Father, you are so good. We're, we're just here expectant to hear from you and your word. God, would you give all of us right now um, sharp minds and soft hearts as we approach your word. Let us think critically and be shaped in our mind, but let us come with soft hearts, willing to hear, to be convicted, to be encouraged. God, would you speak to us? And most importantly, after this morning, would we be more drawn into worship than when we came? God, we need you and your spirit to do that. Would you do that now? pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Psalm 4. If you're not there in your Bible, would you get there? Psalm 4 uh, is another psalm written by a man named David. Right? He's the king over the people of Israel, God's people. And Psalm 4 is kind of interesting because we find out that, that David is writing this as he's lying down to go to sleep at night. Right, so get that image in your mind that this is a psalm that was written and to be read and recited at the end of a day. Now, I don't think a ton has changed over the few thousand years since David to us because what, what we find out that happens to David is he lies down to go to bed and worry and anxiety and distress begins to flood his mind. You ever have that happen to you? Where you lie down to go to bed at night, or, or maybe you're kind of jolted awake in the middle of the night, and all of a sudden your mind is just flooded with the stress, with the things going on in life, with anxiety. Maybe you struggle to sleep because there's just a, a looming problem that's just plaguing you. Maybe you, before you go to bed, instead of just sitting there thinking about it, you, you just scroll on Facebook. 
minute after minute, an hour goes by and you're scrolling, probably subconsciously because you don't really want to just sit there and think. You know, it's crazy to me how when our day finally goes dark at the end, right, when silence, maybe for the first time in your day, actually hits us where our minds begin to race to. It, it's kind of funny, I was thinking about this this week, it's interesting that when we're children, a lot of us were, were afraid of the dark when you're a child, right? You go to bed and it's dark and the door closes and it's scary. There's something about that that's just scary. And, and as adults, I wonder how much has actually changed. You know, when you go to bed at night, when you lay there and it's quiet and it's dark, you, you may no longer be afraid of the boogeyman under the bed, right? Hopefully. Hopefully you're not afraid of that. And no, you're not afraid of the monsters anymore, but... But maybe it's kind of scary to replay how your boss just has not been pleased with your work recently. Maybe it's a little scary to just sit there and think about the conversations that you've had with a relationship that just seems to be falling apart. Maybe it's scary as you're adding up the the income that you have and how the bills seem to be climbing higher. Maybe it's scary because you just feel kind of alone or depressed or anxious or overwhelmed. I think for all of us, you've probably had moments. Maybe you're here this morning and you just feel anxious. In Psalm 4 language, it would be that your soul is just kind of distressed. You know, it was interesting. This week, I was trying to figure out a little bit more, doing some research on what really makes us anxious. Right? As a people today in America in 2018, what kind of makes us anxious? And so uh, I did what maybe I wouldn't always recommend is I just went to Google, and I Google searched, uh, I feel anxious when. Now, I wasn't attempting to do this, uh, but what happened was just so intriguing to me. You know that when you search for something in Google, you, you start your sentence, and then it like fills out like the top 10 results to how to fill your sentence? Right, so this is the, the most common responses or, or fillers to your sentence. And, and just listen to some of these that popped up right away. It was, I feel anxious when someone likes me. That was the very first one. I feel anxious when someone likes me. But you go like three below that and it said, I feel anxious when I'm all alone. And another one a, a little bit down said, I feel anxious when there's nothing to do. And like right below that it was, I feel anxious when I'm overwhelmed at work. There was one that said, I feel anxious when I wake up. And literally the last one was, I feel anxious when I go to bed. (laughs) And what struck me is that this literally is like encompassing all of life, right? Like there's people that feel anxious when you have a relationship. And then there's people that feel anxious when you don't have a relationship. There's people that are anxious when when you're bored and you have nothing to do. And there's people that are anxious when there's too much to do and there's too much on your plate. There's people that are anxious when you wake up in the morning and anxious when you go to bed. The, the, the anxiety, the, the distress of our souls, uh, it, it's unavoidable. Right? In our culture today, that is just, we are plagued and pressed daily to feel this anxiety of the things going on in our world. And it's what David is struggling with in Psalm 4. He's plagued as he goes to bed about the turmoil and the distress in his life. And the question that I want to wrestle with today is not do you feel anxious? Because I'm assuming many of you do this morning. Many of you have over the last few weeks. Most of us will over the course of the next month. But the question that Psalm 4 presses is, where do you turn when you feel anxious? When you're in distress, when your soul is overwhelmed, when you're hurt, when you're alone, where do you turn? 
Where do you go to in a moment of conflict and distress? We find in Psalm 4, David in distress, and he immediately runs to God in prayer. Right? If you look at Psalm 4, verse 1, we see that. He says, Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. So Psalm 4, that's kind of the setting for it. And he's saying that this is going to be the process of how he moves from distress to peace. He's going to walk us through his heart and how he views moving from a conflict to comfort. And it's all with this interaction with him in God. And so this morning, what I want to do is I want to walk through this psalm, and I want to help us as a people see how God wants to move us from distress to peace, from, from conflict to comfort, because the reality is we all feel distress. We all struggle. We all feel anxiety. And what we need to know is how God wants to move us from that to his peace. And so as we go through Psalm 4, there's going to be um, four kind of pieces that we'll look at. So if you see um, in verse 2, we're going to look at the conflict of the distressed. Then in verses 3 through 5, we'll see the call to the distressed. In verses 6 and 7, we'll see the contentment of the distressed. And finally in verse 8, we finally get to the comfort for the distressed. Uh, We're going to walk through the conflict, the call for what to do, the contentment that it brings, and the comfort that we desire. So first, let's look at verse 2, and we're going to see the conflict of the distressed. He says, O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? So we see uh, for a different reason, which I'll say later, but I think that Psalm 4 is connected with Psalm 3 that we looked at last week. So if you were here, you might remember that in Psalm 3, Jason, who preached last week, had, had highlighted the circumstances for David at this point. So when he's talking about distress, what we can probably assume is that this is the same period for when David's son, Absalom, when he was taking over the kingdom of David. Right, so David's the king, but he's no longer at this place reigning and ruling in Jerusalem. He's now been cast out. He's most likely hiding in a cave somewhere. He's, his life is in shambles. His son has turned on him. His family does not want him anymore. The nation that he is supposed to rule and reign over has abandoned him. He's on the run. He's fearful. And he's riddled with distress. And I think the problem that's causing this conflict comes in the the latter phrase in verse 2. He says, how long will you love vain words and seek after lies? Depending on your translation, it'll say something like that. Or how long will you love what's not true and seek after delusions or false gods? Basically what he's saying here is that the people that are against him, they're not seeking truth. They're not seeking God but they're running after realities that are not true. They're running after delusions, that which is a lie. For David, anxiety and pain and her, all this distress, stems from seeking after and believing in lies. Now, I thought about it this week, and I, I think it's probably fair to say that most, not all, but 
most of our anxiety and soul distress comes from seeking after and believing in lies rather than truth. Right? Not all, but most comes from believing in and seeking after lies instead of truth. Now I say most because there are some real life troubles that's just reality. Right? Like if the bank account says zero, it says zero. Like you have no money. That's just a reality. That's not a lie. That's just reality. Right? If, you're, if you get the grades at the end of the semester and it says F, you failed the class. Like there's just nothing around it. You, you failed. You didn't do the work and that's reality. But for many of us, the anxiety and the distress that often comes is because we're seeking after and believing in lies. Now I think some of this can happen externally, right? For David, it's, it's people outside of himself that are believing in lies, but I also think it can happen internally. Like, just go for a moment with me in your mind to a time recently where you just felt anxious. Maybe it was at night before you go to bed, and you just felt anxious, and you just felt in distress. Maybe it was during the day, and your heart just started racing, and you got really worried, and, and you began to get concerned, and you felt this distress and this hurt. I want you to think, I wonder if at the core of that, as it's accelerating in your heart, if it's not because you, you're no longer focusing on truth, but you're beginning to play this kind of worst-case scenario, seeking after lies and delusions kind of game. I wonder if any of these phrases sound familiar in those moments to you, where you tell yourself, I am just simply not good enough. Where you tell yourself, I am not attractive enough, and that's why I'm still single. Where you say, man, I deserve more respect than what everyone else seems to be giving me. I deserve a different circumstance in life than what God has offered me. I cannot possibly get all of this done in the amount of time I have. There's no way that I will be able to pay for all of these bills. What we tend to do is take our eyes off of God and truth and we begin to riddle ourselves with lies. We begin to riddle ourselves with worst case scenarios. So this happened to me um, a couple weeks ago. Uh, I was just, for some reason, I just began to get really, really anxious so my, my wife and I, we just bought a new house, and we move in, we were there for about a week, and all of a sudden, my heart just started spiraling. Like, I don't know if you ever had this, but it was like, we get the house, and then all of a sudden, we're in it, and we're like, man, I'm pretty sure everything's going to like break down here pretty soon. Like, this isn't going to work, and this isn't going to work, and how are we ever going to pay for this? And now the mortgage payment's a little bit higher, and you know, what if I lose my job somehow, and then I can't pay for any of this? And you know, we've got a kid that we're now trying to raise, and, and what if we don't have enough money for this? And what if we try to sell the house later, but the housing market crashes, right? And my mind is just spiraling in all these crazy worst-case scenarios, all these things that it's not reality, it's not true, but I, I'm just building this anxiety inside of me because I'm chasing these lies deeper and deeper and I'm convincing myself that this is my lot in life, right? Everything's going to kind of fall apart. Everything's broken. God has just kind of abandoned me and I'm here alone. You ever play that game? You ever play a game where it's just you just fixate on the lies and delusions in life instead of on truth? I think it's important for us to recognize that before we can really move through conflict, through distress in a healthy way, we've, we've got to recognize that at the core of most of our anxiety and distress 
is not God's truth, but just the lies and the circumstances in our life. And if we recognize that, if we see that, like David's talking about, then I think he's going to call us into action. If we would, if we would recognize that, he's going to call us into action. Look at verses 3 through 5. He says, but know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. So be angry. Do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts and on your beds and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. I think what David calls us to, and I think the way to combat the lies that we hear, that we tell ourselves, that we believe in, is by letting our entire self be shaped by truth. Right? I mean, the way to combat the lie is to reiterate and let yourself be shaped by truth. Did you, did you catch the, the kind of progression as he works through here? I think in, in verse 3, he, he focuses on the, the mind, the head, right? He says you got to know something that's true. Verse 4, he moves into our hearts, and he says, hey, I, we want to deal with the heart here in the conflict. In verse 5, uh, I would say it's kind of the, the hands, right? And by hands, I just simply mean the, the kind of lifestyle that we live, the, the external things that are happening. So let me just quickly watch how he does this. In verse 3, he says, Know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. So in David's circumstance, the cry of the people that we see in verse, or, uh, Psalm 3 verse 2 is, there's no salvation for David in God. Which means, God's abandoned him. Right? There's, God is not with David anymore. God does not want David anymore. God is not going to save David anymore. He has left him. He's abandoned him. So let's all abandon him as well. And honestly, if I'm David, like just think for a moment, don't think of David as a superhero. I mean, he's just a man. Just think, if I'm David, I'm probably wondering, uh, they might be right, right? Like if you're looking at your circumstance and you're thinking, man, maybe God has left me. And you begin to start tracing some of these lies in your mind and you think, man, would I be stuck in a cave somewhere if God really was with me? Would God really let me go through this hardship if, if he is my salvation? If God wanted me to rule and reign, why am I not on a throne but I'm stuck hiding in a cave? If I'm David, I'm playing through these lies in my mind. But David, to combat that, he tells him the truth that he knows is true, even if his circumstances don't seem to be showing it. He says, Know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. He hears when I call to him. He's reminding himself, even if it doesn't seem like it, if God said he was for me, he is. If God said that he will hear my prayers, he does. If God says that he will be with me, he is with me. Even when David's heart may not want to believe it, he preaches the truth into his mind. He says, know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. Know what is true. And just, I mean, honestly, just think about how hard that would be for him to believe. Like in, in your circumstance, when you're thinking through anxiety, how hard is it for us to want to hear truth in that moment? Right? Like when you're plagued with just, just anxiety and stress, the last thing you want to hear is somebody just coming to you and telling you 
truth, right? Like when you feel all alone and you feel uh, um, lost and depressed, the last thing, honestly, you want to hear sometimes is someone coming and say, hey, the Lord is with you, right? Like that guy's not always the most pleasant in that moment. You don't still want to hear, right? If, you're, if your identity is wrapped up in, in work or in other things and you're getting anxious about that, it's hard for someone to come up and say, hey, your identity needs to be in Christ, right? Like it's, it's true, but it's difficult. I think one of the toughest things is for us is to hear and actually listen to truth when we are just ingrained in the lies and the anxieties of our life. But Providence, you've got to hear this. Neglecting truth is not going to move you from conflict to comfort. Saying, I don't want to hear the truth and I don't need that right now is never going to help you move through. David says, when you are seeking after lies, when you're feeling the delusions, when people are running away, that you've got to remember the truth. You've got to know truth. And then David moves on from there to verse 4. He says, this doesn't just stay in your mind, but it's got to move to your heart. Look at verse 4. He says, be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your bed and be silent. I think it, it's simply not enough to just know or hear a truth. It at some point has to work its way into your heart. And I love how, how comprehensive the Bible is at times, right? Like he says, hey, the mind matters. If you want to change, it's got to come through your mind, but, but that's got to get to your heart. You can't just know things. It's got to get into your heart and soul. And I love that David says, when this happens to you, be angry. Right? He says, look, you can be angry. You can be frustrated. You can feel hurt. Let your heart feel the emotions, but do not sin. He says, don't let that drift into sinful, unrighteous anger. Don't let your emotions drift from a, a righteous hurt of what's going on into a sinful response. I love that. I think he's basically saying, look, con- control your emotions in this moment. Don't be a slave and be captive to your quickest emotive responses, but be slow to anger. Ponder, be silent, and let your heart begin to believe the truth. I think some of our, if you think about some of your quickest, most heartfelt responses, like when you just snap in anger, it is rarely righteous, right? Like your immediate response in anger and frustration is usually unrighteous. It's usually defensive of yourself or sinful. And I love that David says, you can be angry, but be slow. Control that anger. Be silent. Ponder in your hearts. And as you're telling yourself the truth, it may take time, but let that work its way to your heart. And lastly, in verse 5, I think he moves to the external actions in the hands, the body. He says, Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. He says, once you know the truth and it's sinking into your heart, because as that process is happening, stay close to God. And honestly, I think when our souls feel distressed, when you feel anxious, is it not the easiest thing to do just to drift away from God? Right, just to give up on kind of the disciplines, right, of reading and praying, the, the, the community that we have here. It's just so easy in those times to let our external action, our external worship just begin 
to drift. We begin to, to gossip more in those times. We begin to use substances more. We begin to pull away from community more. We begin to deflect things more. We begin to put up walls more. We begin to isolate more. When you feel conflict and anxiety and distress, it is so easy to just begin to drift. And David says, don't let that happen. Don't wander from God in the midst of trials. He says, keep yourself close to God. Continue to put your trust in the Lord. And so Providence, when, when you feel anxious, walk through these steps. As hard as it is, tell yourself the truth. Remind yourself, as you're running in your mind through all the lies that are going on, remind yourself the truth. And if you would say, if you, you could tell me, hey, this morning, look, I don't know God's word well enough. I don't know the truth. I don't even know how to combat that. Look, that's the benefit of having a family here. Run to somebody else. Come to one of us uh, pastors here and just say, hey, I want to give you permission to preach to me the truth that I'm not believing right now. Give somebody that permission in your life to say, hey, I am not thinking clearly. I need you to tell me the truth. What does God say about this situation? And as you do that, meditate on it. Remind yourself. Say it over and over again until your heart actually believes it. It may take a little time. It may not come right away, but get your heart there. And while you're doing it, stay close to God. You know, this, this last uh, couple weeks, as I'm running through all the worst case scenarios about our new house, and I'm filled with anxiety, I had to go to my wife and just say, Bailey, this is what I'm feeling. I know it's not right. I need you to just tell me what's true. And so we just spent an hour or two, and her, she just walked through, look, this is ridiculous, like, this is not true. This is not a reality. Look, this is not what God says about you. This is not what God says about this situation. She just preached the truth in. And I'll be honest, at times, my heart and mind didn't want to hear it. Right? Like, you don't always want to hear the truth there. But once she said that, I spent days just reiterating that. Every time I began to believe a lie, I had to say, this is truth. I know this is not right. This is truth. And it took days maybe a week or so, until my heart actually started to believe it. I had to ponder in my heart and get my heart there. And while I was doing that, I had to stay close to community, to God, to his word, and put my trust in him. And if we do that, David's going to go on to show us the benefits of this. Right? If, if that's our model, when you feel anxiety and you preach to yourself and you meditate and you let that hit your heart and you keep yourself close to God, what's the result? Look at verses 6 through 7 as we see the contentment of the distressed. He says, there are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. For you have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. You notice a, a kind of a, a subtle shift here in David, right? So we see three through five, and it seems as if David's viewpoint is now slowly starting to change. And to see that from verse six, I need to just make a note about something interesting with our Bibles. I think it's interesting. You may think it's dorky, but it's only like two paragraphs, so you can hang in there, okay? So the, the Bible, if you don't know, the Psalms, they were, it was written in Hebrew, Okay? And what we have in the Psalms is Hebrew poetry. So this is a, a whole different type of writing in a whole other language. And sometimes it's a bit tricky then 
to translate, right? If you've ever tried to translate uh, languages or words, you know that it's not just a one-to-one correlation. You've got to kind of figure out what is he trying to say here and communicate that in a new language. And so there's times that these incredibly intelligent, godly people that are translating the Bible have to kind of make decisions on what is the author trying to say. Now, depending on your translation, verse 6 may have quotation marks in, in a bunch of different places, right? So for some of you, you may look at your Bible and there may be no quotation marks, It doesn't say who's saying what. For some of you, the whole thing is. For others of you, it's split up in half. Um, And so to understand this, let me give you my best guess. I'm not incredibly smart, so I'm just stealing from smarter people than I and what they thought. But this is kind of my best guess of what David is saying in verse 6. I think he's saying, there are many who say, who will show us some good? So I think that's what, what this many is saying. And because that word many, again, if you were here last week, that's probably connected to the many people that were against him in Psalm 3, right? So these are the people that are not for God, they're not for David, they're against him, and they're crying out, who is going to show us prosperity? Who's going to give me life? Who is going to bring me good? Who will show me good? And David responds, lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they, the many, have when their grain and wine abound. So here's what I think David's saying. The people that love lies, the people that love delusions and are against God, that that cycle through all of this false reality, he says they will always seek the things of the world to satisfy themselves when their lies begin to break down. When, when, when the lies that they're believing in begin to crumble, when they're not satisfied by what they're seeking after, he says, they will continue just to seek more in the world. And David's response says, God, give us your presence. Give us your glory. Give us yourself because the presence of God gives more joy than when the grain and wine abound. And, and the grain and wine, it's simply a, it's an image of prosperity, Right, so grain, don't think they just want lots of grain, right? That's, the, that's their economy. When grain's abounding, the economy is doing well. Money is flourishing. They're doing great. When the wine is flowing, it means that they're happy and prosperous, and the world is giving them the things that they desire. And David says, I would rather have the joy of the Lord than the joy that the world offers. In Providence, I do not want us to hear this as a, a bible Sunday school type answer. Like, well, I really want the things of the world, but I guess God gives me more joy, so whatever, right? That's, that's not it, because David is, is saying, look, he's tasted the things of the world. He's the king of a nation. He's had victory. He's got a palace. He's got all this land, and he says, you know what's better than the things of this world? The presence of God. And just think about it, we know this, right? Like think about in our culture, the, the American uh, kind of culture and what we seek after. Right? So, so just, just track with me. When, you're, when you have a baby, right, you, you got this baby, and, and that's nice, and they're cute and great, but they don't do anything. So they just kind of sit there. And so you kind of hope, maybe it's just me, but you kind of hope, I can't wait until he starts moving around a little bit. Like that's going to be really fun. Then you get to kind of move and play and stuff, and that's great. But then as a kid, you kind of get excited for school to start, right? School is new, and it's exciting, and so you think, man, once I get to go to school, then it's going to be awesome. And then you go through the first few grades, and then you start to think, man, once I get to high school, like, that's a whole other world. This is going to be awesome. I just want to get into high school. And then you 
do that for a couple years, and you realize that's not as good as you thought. And so then it's like, well, but in college, like college is going to be the time I'm going to reinvent myself. I'm going to get, you know, dye my hair a crazy color. It's going to be a whole new me. I'm on campus. This is going to be amazing. And then you do that for a few years, and you think, okay, well, that's kind of a little better version of high school. So what I want is a job. Like I just, I can't wait until I get this career. And so then you get the career after school, but then you feel like, man, I'm just kind of lonely. I really want a spouse. Once I have a spouse, then I'm going to feel kind of satisfied. And so you, so you get married and then you start thinking, well, we're married now. So we got to get a house. So let's go buy a house. And once we get this cool house, this is going to be awesome. So you, so you get your first house and then you think, well, now it's Time for kids. Once we get kids, then this is going to be awesome. We'll have the family and the house. This is going to be amazing. And so you have a couple kids, but then you realize, look, now we've had too many kids, and we need a bigger house, right? I need, I need more room. And so once we get our forever home, then my soul is going to be so happy because I'll have this home. And then you get into that, and you realize that the nights are still long, and there's still more going wrong, and you're longing. And so you think, man, if I could just get that next promotion, I've already had three, but this next one, this is going to be the one that really makes me happy at work. And so you get that, and then you start thinking, man, I just can't wait to retire, right? Like, I'm just saving up. I just need enough money so that I can retire and get my kids out of the house, and then it's going to be amazing. And so your kids are gone, and you retire, and you sit around, and you think, man... Death is going to be great. Like, it's going to be awesome. Like, this is going to be so, I'm going to rest, and it's going to be amazing. And we end up spending our entire lives seeking for the next thing that potentially will make our hearts content. And the reality is, you come to death, and you realize you've never gotten it. Look, nothing in this world was made to fully satisfy and give your heart contentment and satisfaction. And David is just saying that. Saying, look, your grain and wine can abound. Have ten kids, a mansion, the white picket fence, five dogs, whatever you want, and you're always going to want more. All of us have faced it. Whatever stage of life you're in, you've gotten through the other ones, and you're thinking about the next one. We're just driven by this to want more and more and more. And David says, look, it's not going to work. You can live out the American dream, and you're going to get to your deathbed, and you're going to realize that you wanted something more. David says that contentment doesn't come when your soul's not distressed and you've gotten the earthly things you want. He says contentment comes when the presence of the Lord is in your midst. When you actually have the Lord, you have a sustaining joy through it all. And so just as a diagnostic question, would you just ask, when you feel anxiety, just think about when, where do you run to? What's the grain and the wine that you run to to satisfy your soul? What's the substance? What's the person? What's the thing that you feel your heart turns to in anxiety? And I want you to hear David say, that may be a good and, and great blessing from God, but it will not make you content. It will not give you satisfaction. There is more joy and satisfaction in the Lord. And that leads us to the end, verse 8. Because he realizes that, he says this, In peace I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. David says, therefore, I found peace. Because I desired the presence of God more than anything else, I can now lie down and sleep. He says, God is the only one that fully protects me. And what I want us to see here to close is, None of the circumstances changed for David. 
Like you never see in Psalm 4 that these men get wiped out or that he gets his throne back. Nothing changes. He's probably still in the cave, but now instead of being fearful and anxious and distressed, he said, God has given me peace. It's why I love this drawing that Aaron did for us. We were talking about it this week, and we said, man, the the psalm is really about peace, but even more than that, it's about peace in the midst of the fire. It's about peace in the midst of the turmoil, in the midst of the distress. And I love that he captured this, that look, the, the peace that God offers is not an easy, happy, healthy, wealthy life. Look, there's no getting around the anxiety and the distress and the turmoil of life, but there is an inner peace that comes even through the circumstances. Our, our ultimate need is not for our circumstances to change, but for God to dwell in us. And I think that David here is is pointing to a reality that only, as we zoom back, only becomes fully realized when we find out how that presence actually comes to us. For David, he's hoping that his God would one day make him right again. And I love that in the New Testament, we get to look back and we get to see how God did that. When you're in the midst of conflict and turmoil, don't just think of an ethereal God who says that he loves you and is with you. Think of Jesus and what he did on the cross. You see, Jesus was in the heavenly realms. He was in peace and comfort, yet he walked into the turmoil so that you could have peace in the midst of it. Right? Jesus took the, the punishment for your sins so that you could have the presence of God, Jesus took all the turmoil and the stress and the sins on his cross so that even in the midst of that you could have peace. God listens to your prayers because of Jesus. God protects you as his people because of Jesus. God gives you peace in the midst of turmoil because of Jesus. We are indebted to the work of Jesus to offer us safety and peace and comfort even in the midst of the fire. I love in, in Philippians 4, Paul says this, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Providence, that's my prayer for us is that we would believe that there is a peace that surpasses understanding That in the midst of the fire and the brokenness and the anxiety, that in Christ we have a peace that transcends it. A peace that protects us. A peace that is inside, that's guarding your heart and mind. Verses 3 through 5 are true because the peace of God protects you and guards you and is with you. We must believe and rest in the confidence of our God. Let me pray. Father... You are so good to offer up your son in the midst of turmoil and destruction and brokenness so that your people could find a great peace. A peace that transcends understanding. A peace that even when it feels like we lie on our beds at night riddled with distress and turmoil. Even when it seems like there could be no peace. Paul says there is is still a peace. There is still a comfort that cuts through all the circumstances. God, I pray for us as a people, would we live in light of this? Would we not live to to just um, seek after the lies? But God, would you preach the truth to us even now 
that God, you are with us, that you are for us. God, for anyone who's feeling anxious or distressed or worried even in this moment, would your spirit offer them a peace that transcends understanding? In this moment, God, would your spirit do something in us that when we can't even explain it, we feel a comfort and a peace knowing that you are with us. You are what is lasting, you are what is eternal, and we have you, therefore we can get through the turmoil. God, we need you to do this, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.